Lord, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for already, God, just our worship has just been so sweet to you, God. And we, we just sing to you, Jesus. We just give you our hearts. And now as we open your word, we give your hearts too that you would speak to us. We're open to hear from you. So I ask Jesus, you would bless your word right now. Anoint it with your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, uh, Kristen and I, we attended the memorial service, or what it was called was the homegoing celebration for actually Pastor Raul Reese's father-in-law, his his wife Sharon's father. Uh, His name is Ed Farrell. Now, Ed and his wife, Naomi, were pioneer missionaries to Columbia from about 1942 to 1951. And actually, Sharon and her sister grew up on the mission field there. There in the jungles of Columbia, they established a mission station, uh, started elementary school, even, I think, if I remember right, a Bible uh, college also, Bible school. But persecution broke out at the end of that, those years there. Uh, there was other missionaries who were there. They got ex- executed. Ed Farrell was actually uh, paraded through town as a criminal as he was arrested and imprisoned. And all for what? Sharing the gospel. Well, finally, at gunpoint, the family was forced to leave that area. So was that the end? No. They traveled on to Chile, and there in Chile... They ministered in that area actually from 1952 to 1961. God used them mightily as they planted a church there. But not only that, they opened two Bible colleges or Bible institutes, a school, and then on top of that, they established 60 other churches. Amazing, isn't that? What seemed like the enemy's attempt to stamp out the work in Colombia actually only spread it out to Chile and the gospel went out even more. And then uh, later uh, I was reading that they had come to America but then later in 1981 they returned to start the first Calvary Chapel in Colombia. They actually went back over there. Well, I like that because you can't stop people like that no matter what. They're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ. Well, today as we return to our study in the book of Acts, persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. As we come into this chapter, Acts chapter 8, we see that the enemy really is trying to stamp out Christianity, but it only makes it spread out even more. So, What we see here in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, it's spread out into the Samaritan Revival. And that's the title of our message tonight, the Samaritan Revival. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 from verse 1 through 25 tonight. Verse 1 through 25. And in in this passage, we have three sections. Number one, Saul's oppression. Number two, Philip's outreach and number three Simon's offer so we're going to be covering those three things in our section this first part of Acts chapter 8 well let's begin with number one Saul's oppression Saul's oppression now we're going to be covering verses one through four in this first section but let's take a look at the first three verses of Acts chapter 8 it says here and Saul approved of his execution And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men, verse 2, buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now we'll stop there for now. We begin with this introduction in verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Now, Saul, or Paul, as we will see later, this is the Apostle Paul, this is how it started out for him. And we find this in the book of Acts, that after Stephen's stoning and death in chapter 7, if you remember that, if you missed that, you can go back and catch the messages. It says here that Saul approved of Stephen's execution 
And the idea really there, in other words, Saul, who's a Pharisee, he authorized this execution of Stephen. If you remember, or you can take a look up at Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says, Then they cast him out of the city, stoned him, that Stephen, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, I was reading that when the people, and it could have been other Jewish leaders or part of the Sanhedrin, when they laid down their garments or their coats at the feet of Saul for him to watch over, it really identified Saul as a leader, as the one in authority, as the instigator. To lay the clothes at one's feet is to submit to that authority. If you remember uh, back in Acts chapter 5, people brought their offering to the apostles and laid them at their feet. So here we see that this idea that when Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution, that he was instigator. He led. He, he authorized this basically as a Pharisee, as a religious leader, one of the leaders there of Israel. So with Saul authorizing this execution of Stephen, well, it goes on to say in verse one, there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Now. You remember Stephen's message really was a tipping point for these Jewish religious leaders. And we went through all that in the last chapter. And we remember I talked about how Stephen is that bridge, right? From Jerusalem to the gospel going out, from the city being all enamored about the gospel and people becoming saved, the miracles happening to where now the Christians are being persecuted and now they're run out of town. Basically, they are all scattered, verse 1 says, throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, but except the apostles. So the believers were ran out of town, scattered into Judea, which is like the, the area, the southern area of Israel, to Samaria, the, the area to just north of um, Jerusalem. And so they, they ran. Believers were going away, except, it says, the apostles. And what's that? Well, they stayed at their post for now. Probably there's some people who couldn't leave, but they stayed there in the church to continue to stand against the persecution. But others went out. Now it says here in verse 2 that we read, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So the persecution started. Stephen was stoned to death. They took his body and with great lamentation gave him a proper burial. Now, uh, this really shows that lamentation, that mourning over him, that, that he was really loved. Stephen was very loved by the believers there. And so they gave him a proper burial, perhaps a going home celebration type of service there. But, now, in contrast to that love and care and, and mourning for Stephen, in contrast, look at verse 3. Saul, he went out. He went out himself ravaging churches, uh, entering house after house of believers, and he dragged off men and women and committed, dragged them into prison. So with great violence, Saul, Saul goes out. And he's, he's a persecutor himself now. He's not just watching the clothes, but he's going out. The word ravaging means to lay waste. So he came in intent on destroying the church of Christians, the Christian church. And he went as far as to actually enter into people's houses and throw people into prison. So you can see Saul, he was a brutal and fierce uh, force in, in his zeal to get rid of these, well, remember the Jews were accusing Stephen of him being a blasphemer, right? So he, he went out with all his might thinking that these Christians misguided zeal that they were blaspheming God by preaching Jesus Christ. So he went all out in, in a violent way, in a fierce way. You know, in Paul's testimony, we'll see this way later in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. He said, I persecuted this way, which is the Christians, uh, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He was brutal. He was crazy here, going 
uh, all out trying to capture these Christians. So Saul's oppression now was a reign of terror on believers. And this is what Luke is bringing forth to us tonight. Saul's oppression was a reign of terror on the believers. You know, I've been um, praying for uh, persecuted Christians, and particularly like today, uh, I got this prayer app. I, I recommend you guys get it. It's a GCR prayer app. It's Global Christian Relief. But what the app does is it, it gives you a whole bunch of prayer requests of persecuted Christians around the world. And I'll tell you that ever since I got this, there's been many in, uh, prayer requests coming from India. And this morning I was praying. There's many they list, and you can hit prayed. And I, I really like it. Um, I recommend you get it. It's the GCR prayer app. And um, today I was praying for what came up is uh, one of the prayer requests was for a man named Ramu in India. They changed his name to protect his identity. But uh, he was talking about how um, when he was young, he was told about Jesus, but he, he, and he believed in a sense, oh, okay, Jesus, but he really didn't uh, confess Jesus as his Savior till he was older. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I want to see if I could read this to you. Um, he tried to, to read the Bible, um, but he couldn't and uh, understand it. And he said it was like the, the, the devil would attack him and uh, 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 torment him. But then he said a day came when he put away his idols and he came to worship the one true God. He accepted Jesus and now he says he start, he start, he's understanding the Bible. I just want to share this. It's kind of interesting. He wrote, understanding the Bible, what it really says, forces a convert to face the responsibility, the commitment of what they are getting themselves into. I remember reading Jesus' words, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. He, he then said, I knew I had to go through this, and I was prepared. You can't make this decision lightly where I live. My home is in a village where everyone worships idols. They want all who live here to follow the local customs. If you are a Christian in my village, you expect that you will be taunted and beaten up. Even my own grandmother, a strong believer, was kicked out of her home and forced to live in another village. Well, it goes on in this um, uh, prayer app and this request about him that he went and shared that uh, when he became a Christian, the entire village where he lived surrounded him and threatened him, and he wouldn't recant, so they beat him up. They hit him with sticks. His own family locked him and his wife out of their house, and they had to move to out of the village and live in another village. And so that's today, you guys. This is modern times. What we're seeing here, the violence, the hostility, it's still going on, and it has been going on through the centuries. And so Saul's oppression was a reign of terror on the believers, while still there are those who are very hostile and antagonistic against believers in other parts of the world. We don't really face that directly in that way, but it's real. And what the believers are facing here is, is, is really Satan trying to attack them. I mean, can you imagine being um, this Ramu guy and... The, his life is threatened. You know, how tempting would be to save yourself from that pain, from being beaten up. Yeah, well, no, but no, he's a real believer and he would not give in. And I think we need to be praying for the persecuted Christians in the world today. And it, it, that's why I got the app. I thought, you know, I want to add to my prayers. There's other brothers and sisters in the world, and I hear stories and occasionally would read stories, but I thought, I want to do this every day, and so I have this app to do that every day. Well, verse 4, Acts chapter 8, it goes on, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So here's the amazing thing that happened. We read that in verse 1, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Well, in verse 4, those who were scattered, those who fled the persecution, you know, 
they fled, but where they fled to, and as they fled into other areas, they were preaching the word wherever they went. Isn't that awesome? Where Satan tried to stamp out the fire of revival in Jerusalem, you know what? It only spread the fire. You know, it's like stamping on coals and it just, you know, everything flies out into the wind. It only made the fire spread. Persecution did not stop the revival that was going on in Jerusalem. It did not smash it. It did not stop the gospel Jesus Christ, the truth about him and salvation from going out. You know, this is awesome that now, if you read in verse 1 again, they went to Judea and Samaria. I mean, doesn't that sound familiar? Do you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus told them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they would be empowered when this baptism comes upon them, right? And he said that they will be witnesses where? Jerusalem. And then what? Judea, then what? Samaria, out into what? The ends of the earth, right? Well, this is it happening now. The, the movement, we could say, the revival was, it seemed like it was mainly contained in Jerusalem. And so persecution came, but that persecution caused the gospel to go out. The people went out. They were preaching the word of God. In other words, they were sharing Jesus Christ. And they were sharing the gospel. And so we see how with God's powerful, I would say, powerful now, sovereign hand, he took the evil that was happening to the Christians there and he turned it for good does that sound familiar joseph right genesis 50 what you meant for evil god turned it for good made it into good that's what's happening here now from a human standpoint it looked like a dark day for this new church this is a new church right god's been moving revival's happening people are getting excited um it's being established there people are coming it's a huge church and from a human standpoint, it looked like a dark day for a new church when, when the Jewish religious leaders and people in the city were turning on the church. But from a heavenly standpoint, it was the dawn of a new day in God. So Saul's oppression surprisingly set in motion the first missionary engagements. Think about that. Saul's oppression, how he's, he's leading this charge, it seems like. How everyone's caught up in this now. All the Jewish religi religious leaders, and, and Saul himself is going, but his oppression surprisingly set in motion the first missionary engagements. Uh, the note inside the Believer's Study Bible, uh, the, whoever put it together wrote this, the winds of affliction were scattering the seed so the, go gospel, uh, to the, go the gospel to distant places. And who could estimate the extent of the harvest? Isn't that awesome? That's what is going on here. God is using all this evil to turn it for good so the gospel, the gospel will be spread out just as Jesus said that they were to do. This is God's powerful, sovereign hand. And I don't know about you, but that makes me amazed how God could even use something so evil and wicked. Yeah? Uh, people being persecuted, suffering, right? Through that persecution, yet God is using that to spread the gospel even more. You know, in 1966, the Cultural Revolution came to China. And when that movement came in, it resulted in the killing and expulsion of many mission, Christian missionaries there. Uh, the communist government came and stopped all that, burned the Bibles, uh, uh, killed Christians, killed missionaries, kicked them out of the country. But you know what? Christianity was not stomped out. Chinese Christians were forced to go underground at that point, right? Secretly. And the persecution only brought a tremendous growth 
in the church. I, I heard the estimate before the Cultural Revolution, there might have been like 800,000 Christians in all of China. But years later, after the communist government took over, um, uh, made it legal to have Bibles and be a Christian, it, uh, the underground church just exploded. And years later, it was found to be 50 to 100 million believers. 50 million to 100 million believers. I tried looking up today. Uh, one estimate said that there's 93 to 115 million believers. Though Satan tried to stamp out Christianity in China, it only made it grow more. No matter how hard maybe the devil is attacking you, hold on to this. With God, the darkest moment can be the greatest movement in your life. Receive that tonight as a word from the Lord. The darkest moment can be the greatest movement in your life. Hold on to that, you guys, because we're seeing that here. Here, the movement, uh, the, the darkest moment persecution created the Samaritan revival, a great movement in that area. While we see Saul's oppression, now we go to number two, Philip's outreach. Philip's outreach. Now here we're going to look at verse 5 through 8. Verse 5 through 8 in this section. But first of all, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now Luke goes on writing this account. So many went out, right? And in verse 4, they went about preaching the word. And and here's an example. Philip now, he went down to Samaria and preached Christ, proclaimed Christ. Now, Philip here is not the Apostle Philip. This is Philip, one of the chosen ones, full of the Holy Spirit, to help the apostles that they can study the Word, right? Attend to the Word and pray. These were the ones to serve the tables, be part of the administration of the church that we saw in Acts 6. He's, he's, Stephen was chosen, and Philip is one of the other guys. And so he ended up going to Samaria, the city of Samaria. Now, as I mentioned, it's like north of Jerusalem. It's, that, it's the same area where Jesus met the woman in the well, at the well in John chapter 4. Now, if you remember our studies about Samaria and the Samaritans, the Samaritans were, were despised. Uh, of, uh, the Jews hated them. They didn't like them because they're Hapa, Jew, and Gentile. What happened is when the northern kingdom fell to the Syrians, um, they intermarried, the people were left there, and they became the Samaritans. They had their own uh, place where they would worship God. They believed in God. They had their own rituals and customs. And so the, the, the Jews, the pure Jews, they, they looked down upon the Samaritans. They, they were like um, uh, rejected, low in their eyes. They were they very um, prejudiced against them, the Jews. So here's Philip now, once chosen to serve tables, now he's gone out and he's evangelist to the outcast Samaritans. Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So the Samaritans, they, uh, they with one accord paid attention. In other words, they, they received it all. They listened to it. They were drawn into the gospel also with the signs, the miracles that were done through Philip. It's listed here in verse 7. Unclean spirits or demons were cast out, uh, crying out loud with loud voice. Um, they came out of many who had them, and, and the paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was healing and casting out of demons going on. And, and that grabbed them. You remember that. Uh, these miracles not only validated the message they're giving about Jesus Christ, but it also said that, hey, Jesus is still alive. He's still working, and now he's working 
through the apostles. Now he's working through the church. And so these Samaritans, they received Jesus, basically, and a revival broke out. That's what we're reading about here. So much so, so much so there was much joy, verse 8, in that city. When people really believe in Jesus, much joy comes. There is joy in salvation, right? Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Philip's outreach in love, when the love of Christ brought revival and joy. This is Philip's outreach. It brought the Samaritan revival, uh, the title of our message. Uh, it was the love of Christ reaching out to them, and it brought this revival and joy. You know, I never forgot um, when I had lunch with this um, chaplain of a juvenile uh, detention um, in uh, Orange County uh, back when I was on staff at the church there, and uh, uh, he told me at lunch one day that he said that these kids that are in the prison in juvenile detention, that they are the quote-unquote Samaritans of our society. They're unwanted, they're despised, they're rejected, they're looked down upon and are unloved. And I never forgot that. And thinking about, wow, yeah, how many people look down upon these kids and how they probably feel so rejected and all. And it really motivated me. We were planning on going into the detention home and doing a concert and outreach there with Jesus. And so here's Philip. There, God sent Philip there to the Samaritans, to these outcast ones. Think of it. Here's this Jew, a Hellenist Jew, a Greek Jew, though, going there to reach the Samaritans who are the outcasts, according to the Jews, who are, who are, who are the nobodies. He's going there to share the love of Jesus Christ. Do you feel that? Maybe rejected? Perhaps you feel ashamed because of your past. Perhaps you feel like, you're the hated one. Maybe you're discriminated against because of your race, possibly. Maybe you live in an area, I felt that, uh, or many times, uh, like, oh, pushed out because how I look. Uh, maybe you feel excluded from your family or, or your circle of friends or school or workplace. Know this, Jesus loves you and Jesus is reaching out to you now. Just like he did with these outcast Samaritans, as he sent Philip, Jesus is reaching out to you at the sound of my voice to tell you he loves you. He wants to save you. So this is the Samaritan revival. It started with Saul's oppression, but people went out. Philip was one of them, and it, we see Philip's outreach here. Well, let's go to number three, Simon's Offer Simon's offer. And this is the rest of our verses we're going to look tonight from verse 9 through 25. Take a look at verse 9, first of all. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon, the same magician guy, himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. All right. Revival breaks out here. Here's a little more description of what's going on. The people, verse 10, they paid, a, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, verse 12, they believed Philip. Yeah? They believed in the message, believed in Christ, seen the signs, uh, everything, and then they were baptized, water baptized. So they came of faith in the Lord, and this revival was going on. Uh, so did this man named Simon. It seems like, he believed, verse 13, and he was water baptized and he continued hanging around with Philip, being amazed by the miracles that were going on through him. But let me say this. Later, 
we're going to see that what Simon had was not saving faith. We're going to see because of what he offered to Peter and what Peter says. And that'll be in a moment. But here's Simon. Here's this character. In the middle of this revival is this guy named Simon. Luke gives us some background about him in verse 9. He was Simon. He he practiced magic in the city, amazed the people. It was like he was doing miracles. And that, look, he himself was saying that he was somebody great. He was probably the one that said, oh, I'm, I'm doing this by the power of God, verse 10, and I, so I'm the great one. I'm, I'm that one. Come, follow me. Now, understand the Samaritans, right? They had their own way of worship, their own temple, and they were also uh, very, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, um, into different things, uh, mystical things. They... Uh, I lost the word in my mind right now. But uh, they, they, so it was easy for Simon to, to make them really believe what he was doing was that it was from him. He was great. He's, he, you know, this is him. Um, was he just a magician, sleight of hand, doing some tricks? Or maybe some magicians, I believe, are into the occultish things and there's actually demonic powers. Maybe it was both going on. We don't know. But either way, you can tell this guy, he self-proclaimed himself as someone great and then used this magic to get people to exalt him. And we read that this has been going on for a while. That he, he had this following. People were 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 just looking at him as someone great for a while. Well, this guy then was well known. Uh, he had status in the community. He was established, and he was probably pretty rich. But he was deceiving people with his magic. If he had real power, like demonic power or not. We know, like in 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. I think that was him. I think he was deceiving the people, whether it was his magic or whether it was a real demonic kind of power. He was still deceiving people so he could be looked at as great. Well, then verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. All right, so the apostles, they got word that there's this revival going on in Samaria. They received the word. And so uh, the apostles sent Peter and John over to Samaria. And when they came, they saw that they had not received or been baptized with the Holy Spirit like they were. So they prayed for them. And then the Spirit came upon them, and the Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. Spirit. They're only baptized in water, not with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would that be happening? Uh, I believe this. I think uh, they weren't baptized with the Holy Spirit yet, so the apostles, the Jewish apostles, will come and see what's going on with the Samaritans, right? The, the, The despised race, and see that, wow, they've received Christ. And that they would be the ones to actually lay their hands on the people and to actually pray for the Spirit to come and see with their own eyes the Holy Spirit come into the Samaritan. So just like the Jews were, so the Samaritans were getting saved and, and baptized by the Holy Spirit. So God, I believe, wanted to show these guys that God saves the Samaritans too and they're also part of the church. That, that we're all one body here. Because the prejudices ran deep. And we're going to see that later even with Gentiles. But here, 
with the Samaritans, I believe that's why the Holy Spirit wasn't upon them right away. Now, I, I, I believe that when the Spirit, remember we talked about this, the baptism of the Spirit, uh, it's that uh, the first the Spirit's convicting you, bringing you to Christ. Then when, when, when we come to Christ, He comes in us, regenerates us, and then when He baptizes us, He empowers us. So I believe these guys weren't empowered fully yet. Did, perhaps there's evidences of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they're speaking in tongues. Maybe uh, just like what happened to them. And it was all to show the apostles that they, the Samaritans, were also saved and has Jesus and the Spirit and is part of the body of Christ too. So uh, the, uh, it was validating that these guys truly are saved. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And that's the key part there. Verse 19, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So you can see Simon wanted to do the same thing, that he wanted to do what Peter and John did, laying of hands, that the Holy Spirit came, there's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I want that power too. That was, that was pretty cool. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, rebuked him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Simon sees this empowering, this baptism of the Spirit going on upon the people. He goes, oh, I want that. I want to do that too. So he offered money. He wanted to do the same. Notice, he didn't necessarily want the Spirit for himself, like pray for me to have the Spirit, right? No, he wanted the power to give the Spirit. It was kind of like his magic trick. It was like his, what he's been doing, how he's been operating all along. He wanted to do this so the people would come to him, would look to him, would lift him up. Right now, they're lifting up Philip. And here's Peter and John, the apostles. And, oh, here's some new guys in town. And, and he was moved too. He, you know, he believed, he was water baptized, and he's going through this. But I believe that it wasn't a true saving faith. Because for him to ask money, I mean, uh, offer money to, for this power so he can do the same thing, shows his heart is not right. And that's what Peter exposes, really. Uh, perhaps when Simon came to Peter, he's like, hey, let me have that power. I want to do that too. I'll tell you what, I'll sweeten the deal. I'll give you some money. Maybe he did it that way. And so Peter's like, look, that's not right. Your heart is not right. To offer money for the Holy Spirit? No, you're coming to God not with a right heart. So he exposes, I believe, that he's not saved. And so that's why he says you need to repent. You need to be forgiven. This wickedness that's inside you, you need to go and, and, and be forgiven for this intent. You really don't want Jesus. You really don't want to be saved. You don't really want forgiveness and a relationship with God. You want to use all this for your own gain. That's what Peter is saying. And, and he exposes more by saying, verse 23, for I see you are in the gall of bitterness. He's, 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 he's like um, gripped with bitterness. Now the word bitterness there, the NLT translates it with bitter jealousy. He wants what the apostles did, but not for the glory of God, but for his own Gain. It's so sad that Simon did not really believe but saw like dollar signs yeah, in his eyes. Uh, the, the gospel is the next popular thing now. Oh, here, here it is. Maybe 
He, he, maybe when it says in verse 9, he previously practiced magic. Maybe that got old. And he was looking for the next thing to keep his position, to keep money flowing. And so perhaps he goes, hey, I'll pay you guys. Give it to me so I, I can do it. And maybe in that way, perhaps thinking he would get this power, maybe he was using some occultish, you know, demonic power in this. Could be. We don't really know. But either way, it was about using Jesus, using God, using the gospel uh, for his own gain. Now in verse 24, it's interesting. Simon answered Peter and said, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I think that's interesting. Uh, what does he mean there? I don't, I don't know. I, I think one thing for me, I was thinking about this, is he didn't say to Peter, you're right. I'm so wrong here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gosh. And he didn't like, you know, get down on his knees and say, Jesus, forgive me. He just kind of said, well, well, pray for me then. I don't know if he really repented. We don't know for sure. But I kind of tend to lean toward, he said, well, then pray for me, you know, uh, that, that that won't happen to me, you know, that, oh, just pray that uh, I won't perish, you know, in, in what you talked about in this. I, I, I don't know if he really made that decision to repent and, and go to Jesus Christ. Only God knows his heart. Um, I, 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 I wish we could read that says Simon utterly, you know, fell upon his face and, and cried out to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. And, and I wish we read he utterly abandoned his, himself to Jesus. Not just, oh, just, yeah, pray for me that I'll do better kind of thing. I mean, I, I've had people um, not really repent, but just say, oh, well, just pray for me, you know, that type of thing. So it could be that God only knows his so here it is. Simon's offer shows plainly he's there for his own gain. He's there for his own gain. It, 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 clearly we can see that when he offers the money. I remember after church one day, someone came, a new person in church, and after service he was going around uh, to everybody in church, meeting them, but not for fellowship, not to ask for prayer, uh, not to even say, oh, how, how are you doing? But he was handing out his business cards. <laughs> I remember that back in Mokwal school. And when I went to talk to him, uh, say, you know, I shouldn't really be doing that. He said, well, I'm only trying to build, build a network of Christians. But, you know, in other words, my mind was, oh, to make money off the flock of God. That's why he even came to church. It wasn't really to seek God to learn his word but is to try and make some money off the people and that that's like Simon Simon's offer shows he's there for his own gain he wanted to continue his status his position position and maybe his wealth there too all right lastly verse 25 now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans so uh, John, Peter and John, they testified, they shared too. Um, they shared the word, they testified what they saw with Jesus firsthand, and they headed back to Jerusalem, and they continued to share Jesus, preaching the gospel, and on the way out to many of the villages, they went from village to village, sharing Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. Now, I, I, I think they, they saw now, they were convinced, while God is reaching out to the Samaritans, that even they can be saved. And that was changing their, their, the way they grew up, the way they saw Samaritans, that, no, we are one. We are one body. And so as they left, they went to witness more and share to more Samaritans on their way back to Jerusalem. So the apostles also joined in this work joined in sharing, joined in the mission work. 
And I just want to say this lastly, that Simon's offer is not how the apostles worked. I just, I, I think it, it's thrown in here. Luke writes this in verse 25, right after what uh, Simon did to say, you know, but the apostles, they weren't about that. You know, they were truly concerned for the Samaritans that they would be saved. So they went on to testify. They went on to share Jesus and what Jesus had told them, what they experienced. And they didn't just go for that moment where that one area of revival is going on, but they want to continue to share Jesus and spread the fire, the revival even more. So Simon's offer is not how the apostles worked. You know, it is from this man, this, this story, that we get the word simony, simony. It's making business out of that which is sacred. That's what it means. It's evil. In the uh, Middle Ages, in the medieval times, the church, the leaders of the church, that's what they are into. They are into power, money, possession. They are into this simony. But the apostles, that's not what they're about. They're about seeing the Samaritans getting saved. They're about sharing Jesus. They're dedicated to sharing Jesus. And they just kept going on, continued the mission, jumped right in and joined in the mission. So they, they weren't like Simon. What's the motive in our hearts? Is it simony? Is it true love for God that we do everything? Is it a desire to serve Jesus? Is it because we want to glorify Him? Or is it about our own gain and our own glory? Well, as we close up here, in the end, you know, it's a life, uh, or I should say, a life that powerfully impacts others cannot be bought. bought. You can't buy that. It's the Holy Spirit inside a person that does that. It's the filling and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like Stephen, that kind of life will powerfully impact others. Whether it's bringing them to Christ or bringing persecution. Whether it's in life or maybe even more in death. Remember Stephen's death. Yeah, he, his face was shining. And I believe that what I believe Saul or Paul saw that. And I think that was the beginning of the end of his old life. We're going to be seeing that as we get into the next chapter. But a life that powerfully impacts others is one who is filled with the Spirit. And that will, can be in life or even more in death. Robert Mary McShane once said, Live as to be missed when dead. That speaks to me. How are we living? How am I living? I'll close with this. On January 8, 1956, in a remote jungle in Ecuador, five missionaries, five men in their late 20s, were murdered by the, by the Alca tribe there. The news shocked the world, for they left their wives and their children uh, Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of Jim Elliot, one of the men killed, wrote this. I want to share this with you. Th- wrote this in her book, uh, Through the Gates of Splendor. If you can get that book, I, I highly recommend it. But this is what she wrote when those five men died. To the world at large, this was a sad waste of five young lives. But God has his plan and purpose in all things. There were those whose lives were changed by what happened. In Brazil, a group of Indians at a mission station deep in the Mato Grosso, upon hearing the news, dropped to their knees and cried out to God for the forgiveness of their own lack of concern for fellow Indians who did not know of Jesus Christ. From Rome, an American official wrote to one of the widows, I knew your husband. He was to me the ideal of what a Christian should be. An Air Force major stationed in England with many hours of jet flying immediately began making plans to join the Missionary Aviation Fellowship. A missionary in Africa wrote, Our work will never be the same. We knew two of the men, 
their lives have left their mark on ours. Off the coast of Italy, an American naval officer was involved in an accident at sea. As he floated alone on a raft, he recalled Jim Elliott's words, which he had read in the news report. It said, when it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. He prayed that he might be saved, knowing that he had more to do than die. He was not ready. God answered his prayer, and he was rescued. Finally, in Des Moines, Iowa, an 18-year-old boy prayed for a week in his room, then announced to his parents, I'm turning my life over completely to the Lord. I want to try to take the place of one of those five. Perhaps you and I will stop making things about my gain or me. Perhaps we would be utterly abandoned to God and find the Holy Spirit bringing revival into our hearts. Just like what was going on here, the Samaritan revival. Let's pray. God, I'm moved by uh, how the death of these five young men impacted the world, and especially what that 18-year-old boy said, that he wants to try to take the place of one of those five. God, they were dedicated. They were utterly abandoned, God, for you. They lived their life for you and nothing else. And what mattered is for people to know Jesus Christ. God, may we be utterly abandoned in the same way that we don't come to church or go to church or pray or do things, God. We don't serve because we get something out of it, Lord. But we do it to glorify you. We do it to serve you. We do it because we love you, God, for you and your glory. God, everything we do, may we do for bringing Christ into this dark world, bringing the light of your truth into people who are lost who need you so much. God, may you bring a revival into our own hearts tonight. Lord, it's like that evangelist Gypsy Smith, I think it was once said that uh, when you pray for a revival, Draw a circle around yourself and pray for everyone inside that circle. Lord, it starts with us. It starts with our own hearts. So God, come in. Revive us tonight. God, we know you, you love us and you love the world. And you're, you want your love to be known, God. So help us, Lord. Love this world. Love our family who doesn't know you. Love those who aren't following you. God, help us tonight. Bring that revival and fire, Lord, that we may truly walk in your spirit, be filled in your spirit, be empowered by your spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and fill us now. In Jesus' name, amen.